Our ancestors all lived here. We all fought for something. Some of us starved. Some of us died fighting. This is what we fought for, you know, because society changes, opinions change, history changes, but the land is eternal. You know, that's where, and we're, we're products of the land. To think that we are superior to nature, superior to the other species, it's, it's something that we've learned that is incorrect. And so when I went on this journey, I discovered that there was a different part of life that I was missing this whole time. And now I tell you, I don't, I work very hard. I've made a lot of sacrifices to do what it is that I'm doing. I'll make a hell of a lot more. But when I do finally kick the bucket, I lived exactly the way I wish to live. And I try to do the things that I think would give me um, the right and the, and the, the benefits of the gift that I was given. I think I earned those. And that's what I live to. I live to earn what I was given. And you know what? That's for me satisfying enough because, you know, this country, it's, it's supposed to be green. That was our color. And we somewhere along the line forgot that. Um, but we didn't all forget and we didn't all accept it. Some of us want to do the right thing and, you know, turn this country back to the way it should be. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve, and no, it's only just Dave here. Uh, Steve had to run off. But at this week's podcast, we've got a real treat for you. We genuinely do. We interview a real genuine lord that grew up in a castle on 1,600 acres, was born into a life of complete privilege. And really with that, we learned that there's massive amount of responsibilities. Randall Plunkett, he's the 21st Lord of Dunshaney. So in his family lineage, in the previous 20 Lords before him, there was a scholar, loads of scholars, loads of high overachievers. There's even been a saint. And now he's the custodian that's responsible for this land. And over the last seven years, he's been the Lord for the last 11 years. And over the last seven years, he's rewilded nearly half of his land, 750 acres. It's the biggest rewilding project in Ireland, where he's all about cultivating nature and really encouraging biodiversity, encouraging species, animal life. He's, he's a vegan now the last seven years and is really, really progressive man. Uh, He's also big into death metal music, so complete contrast. So always wears black and he's a film director that makes horror movies. So we had a very, very interesting conversation. He's extremely... Uh, you don't know what's going to come out of his me- his mouth next. He's very creative and innovative and idiosyncratic. A wonderful man. We talked about life as a lord and the reality of this. And uh, yeah, with great admiration, we give you Lord of Dunshaney, the 21st Lord, Randall Plunkett. Very interesting conversation. And uh, thanks for your time and hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Boom. Boom. So, okay. So let me tell you firstly the story of Noel. So I was writing the great Irish novel that never got published, by the way. Um, and I was sitting there and I had my big mug of tea. And then I got a knock at the door. And I go downstairs and I look and it looks like a man from the council. And I open my door. And like all estate people, whenever you see anyone who looks like they're from the council, you're like, oh, Jesus, what is it? <laughs> and I open up the door and the man had a little hat. And he just kind of went. And he goes, uh, my name's Noel. And I'm like, hi, Noel, I'm Randall. Yes, I know. I'm here to do some tree surveying. I'm doing tree surveying all over Mead. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And what can I do for you? And he goes, oh, well, I hear you have good trees. I was like, oh, I have a few. He goes, that's what I heard. And I was like, oh, I heard. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, do I need to pay you or something? And he goes, no, that won't be necessary. I'm like, okay. So off you go. 
hat comes off and he disappears. And I'm like, Jesus, living in county media, you get such weirdos. But fair enough, went back, typed about two paragraphs of the most epic Irish novel that you're ever not going to read. Then it was nighttime, had a few more cups of tea. Knock, knock, knock. And so I opened the door. It's no, he's got all kinds of branches and sticks sticking out his head. And I'm like, no, yes, it's Noel. And I'm like, great. How was this? How was your, how was your visit? Did you see anything nice? Well, you have a few all right oaks and a couple of beaches. And you have the greatest and largest Irish tree in, in Ireland. And I was like, oh, greatest Irish tree. Well, no, it's, it's a, it's a redwood. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And it's the biggest. And he goes, that's what I said. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. And then we stood there staring at each other for about two seconds. And then he goes, well, goodbye now. And he just... That's it. And went, that was the story of Noel. And he, so he's like a magical little leprechaun that so just appeared. I wasn't sure if he was actually just a tree. And this is my imagination. <laughs> the personification of a tree. He, he could what have been a tree and it could have been something funny in the tea. But, but yes, Noel... If, you know, the worst thing is he's probably going to send me a hateful email and said, I do not talk like that. But he is, he really did. Wow. And uh, yeah, he did look like a guy from the council. So I did think I was in trouble because it's, you know, I am a little notorious around where I live. I can imagine. But uh, yeah, no, it's massive. Um, this, I this will never climb it. Well, Let's just say oh, that. So it is huge. It is. It's, like it's absolutely huge. I mean, it's, the width is what, double the size of this table? Wow. Okay. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty big. Um, like I said, Three if you guys want to come over and climb it, you're welcome to. to. I will be sitting down there eating your chocolate and <laughs> watching you guys go up there. I love it. I Very love good. It. Oh, that's a great yeah, I, I have a question. Like, so you have a huge love of horror movies, obviously, and you write and produce them and direct them. And excuse me. And growing up in a, like a castle or an estate home, I'm not sure which title to call it. Um, did did you like? Did this love come come from kind of? like ghost stories in a sense of possibly living in a kind of haunted house or, you know, the sense you said it's a little dystopian, the estate, that there's lots of buildings. Did this help come about it? And do you have any ghost stories? That's the other part. So have you looked at me? I, I mean, I, I'm a walking, talking horror movie right here. <laughs> um, no, I've always, I've always literally been drawn to the dark stuff. Hence my choice of color all the time. Um, but no, I've always Black's been into not it. technically a color, you know that. Well, my daughter would. Potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I've always really been into like that kind of thing. So I've always been into like weird uh, horror, sci-fi, like even since I was a boy. I wanted, I wanted to hear about the corruption. I wanted to hear about, you know, the pirates. You know, there was none of this, uh, I want to fall in love stuff. No, I wanted, I wanted the guy with the peg leg. It was so Hook it was, rather than Peter It was Pan. Hook every time. I mean, I, when I was watching uh, and reading those stories, I was always like, oh, if you could only just catch him with that hook. <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd, he'd teach him a lesson. You were but rooting yeah. for the bad guy. So I was always rooting for the bad guy. And even when I was, was a kid, I, was, I think I was six when I wanted my first mohawk. And of course, my parents being conservative parents said, not bloody likely. <laughs> um, and then I was 16 and I still wanted a mohawk. And uh, not bloody likely. 26, I got a mohawk. I looked horrible. And uh, parents never knew, thank God, because they would have absolutely beat me brown. Um, so, yeah. So I've always been a little bit alternative. And uh, I love it. You know, it's, uh, I love the music. I love like the, the dark movies. I watched plenty of terrible movies. 
Like, you know, the ones where, where everybody's got strings attached to them and then the monster is basically just a guy wearing a suit. Love all that stuff. <laughs> I was watching one yesterday called Inframan. Chinese monster movie and it is literally like it looks like something I would have made myself all these guys in suits and all these uh, sort of Chinese guys in like special outfits and robots and it was it was just amazing. You know, they're really um, sad. Where, where, does, your really love, where sad. does your love of horror come from? Like, is it just like obviously no one can say well, I mean, my love you, of pink comes from this? It's just literally you just have this love for I the think I'm just subversive, the dark, the kind of I've always the been geared that way. And like the thing is, is that my my parents were always a little bit different. My mom was Brazilian, so she has, you know, she grew up at a tough time in Brazil and like, you know, she was one of those uh hardworking uh women who actually managed to do a lot at a time where sexism was very rampant, especially for architects. I mean, architects is generally back then a male, mm. uh, especially in the third world. And um, so those who don't know, my mom was Brazilian. And um, and so she had those stories of getting into into fights with the local kids. And then, you know, some, some weird uh, guys tried to grope her and she used to walk around with a little knife. So it was all very, very, very rough yeah. and stuff. And plus, you know, if you live in a castle, there's old people... There's like weird stories. There's Lord. There's a dungeon. How can you not? There's a, a dungeon. There's a, a buried dungeon. I intend to open it up and have like massive parties in there. Come on. Any, wow. ghost, any ghost stories like from the, so, the, the castle or anything? So I was a couple of weeks ago. Now, I don't believe in ghosts per se. I mean, I sell ghosts, but I don't believe in them per se. So I was there <laughs> all, all alone and I was in the gym occasionally. Of course, it was arm day. Never, never going to be leg day. And um, I was pumping weights and I thought I heard somebody come behind me and the music's very loud and then i i just got a right on my back of my ear and i swear to god i jumped six feet in the air and i turned around nothing was there and the door was closed and i was alone the alarms were on and there's been some weird stuff going on there like wow. you know sounds and then you know weird stuff there how, visions how, how long have you lived in that house because i know you've got a very international kind of upbringing did you live in the house as 1990 a kid? but i was in boarding school hence the accent is a little bit Wow. Messed up. Oh, so, so, so you've been there a good 30 years? Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I've only got one passport. They won't take me anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so no, I've been there you know, off and on because I, I studied in Switzerland. I studied in a, what is my grandfather used to say? It's a posh school for Russian mobster kids. Wow. That's what he used to say. Very snobby, Jesus. That was the school that you went to? Yeah, because, you know, in, in families like mine, it was like, you know, you go to Oxford or Cambridge and you go to you know, Eton or Harrow. And I didn't go to any of those. And uh, my dad was also a bit of a rebel because he was a painter. And mm. Again, when you decide you're going to be a painter, you have to go to Oxford or Cambridge. But those are not the places to go if you're an artist. So you went to the Slade. And uh, I went to Kingston. Now, not Kingston, Jamaica, before anyone jumps. Kingston, London. And I didn't do any classes before midday because, you know, midday is wake-up time if you're a student and you study film. Wow. So your diet is basically pizza and your, well, I was back in the time of VHS. So it was, you know, DVDs and VHS was basically my entire university career and pizza. In fact, I built quite a lot of furniture in my house by not cleaning and having piles of pizza boxes. <laughs> Very Great good. place to look at your DVDs, for example. Very good. Yeah. Very good. And, and so, so, like, your history is incredible. And that's, like, one thing that I was, you know, I, I, as Stephen said when we were reading about this this morning, like, your history and your family lineage. And even in, in, at a time in the world where people are struggling to find their place and their people, your family history and your root is really, really deep. Like, you live in something like the, 
the longest inhabited family home in Ireland. And what's it like with that? Or is that stifling to one degree? And it's also, it gives you security in another sense, or does it? So being sincere, when I first, like, my family has always, you know, it's kind of old fashioned. So I like to think of us as the samurai of Ireland, right? No. I love that. We you have the all t- these. You got the like, top knot as well. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had the same haircut. Do you have any swords? We have so many swords. Do like, you? And, and secret weapons as well, like things that look like a nice, you know, this is a nice wooden thing, and then you pull out and there's a knife. Wow. And it's really, it's really good when. For when, real, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, wow, go, when cool. you guys come over there, I'll show you, I'll show you my, my stock of weapons. In fact, before we had really good security, we used to sleep with a bunch of weapons, you know, because, you know, the types of people who come and rob your house are not going to be looking for your, your Blu ray player. These days, you couldn't even give away a Blu-ray player. But no, so, you you know, I was always... And, you know, I, I grew up a little bit in America at the time of kidnapping. So, like, we're naturally paranoid, just like much of America is anyway. So, you know, there'd be a hammer under there, a knife hidden there. And when the alarms would go off in the middle of the night, my mother and I would go down and we'd whip out the weapons. And I'd have my my gun and she'd have a tin of tuna or, and a knife. <laughs> and and I once asked her, like, what's up with the tuna? And she said, well, I couldn't find an apple. And if I stab anyone, I can always say I was eating an apple at three o'clock in the morning. Wow. So, so, you know, you have to think these things ahead, you know. <laughs> so we're all insane. It's, it's not, like there's no possibility if you living in a place like mine and not being. There must be something in the water. You could say it's the lead on the roof or something, but it makes you a little woohoo. Wow. But yeah, so, so we're always uh, looking for plausibility. <laughs> so, so, you know. And, and, and did it give you certainty? Like, did it give you some kind of security in that knowing that your family history, you know, the way like, like certainly you meet Americans when they're, and I'm using Americans as an example, but you meet Americans older in life and they're really interested in their family tree and their family ancestry and all this type of thing. And yours seems really like you've grown up knowing it, like, and grown up knowing your place. And that leads me to those other ideas. But maybe you could talk about that. So, so absolutely. So let me, let me get back to, to the original question because I waffle on a bit as you've come to realize. You're doing great. So, oh, thank you very much. I'm here all week. <laughs> so, um, so no, basically, so a family like mine, it always goes to the first son, right? So, so from birth, I was kind of set up that I had to kind of fulfill duties. I knew I wasn't going to have the freedom. And this is ironic because having privilege, you think, ah, but you're going to have all of it handed to you. And there is an argument for that, but there's also a cost. So from an early age, I knew I was always going to have my future kind of set. And I kind of felt bad because, you know, you look at across the ocean and you look at Prince William and Prince Harry, and as much as they seem to have all this freedom, they sort of don't. Mm. It's a sort of a false economy. They, they have to worry about less about whether they're going to pay their mortgage, but they have other things. They're always going to be in the public eye. They'll always have to dress a certain way or behave or, or meet people. And it's not that I'm that exactly, but I was always kind of groomed, maybe with the word the appropriate word in this day and age prepared Prepared. definitely not groomed and was it like in the movies you know the way you know the way you see movies because even one time we were taken we were invited with waitrose to go to scotland and to meet prince charles i remember we went up to the cast and i remember i arrived in shorts and i remember was told you can't go meet the prince in shorts so we just stopped off and had to go buy a pair of pants and we rushed up and i remember meeting him and just meeting the entourage and just going my God, that's a or tough you, you actually invited him to come. I invited him to come stay. I said, Do you oh, want to come like stay him? with us? And we'll go, you know, we'll go, we'll for a go to the summer. farm. We'll show you the farm. And he said, do you have 11 spare bedrooms? I've got quite a bit of entourage. And I said, uh, no, no, we only have 
one, I think. <laughs> but, but, but I could understand, like, having, you know, experienced just that small little fraction of what it might be like to be in a position of privilege like that. There's such a challenge. And like anything, you know, there's two sides to every story. So I can imagine the challenge of being, like, you're, is it a baron or are you called a duke or there's some, the title oh, I, was, I saw in some of you were called the duke, the 21st duke of... It's of, a baron. They, they, they call me death metal baron these days, but like that, that was coined by the Guardian. But uh, yeah, Lord is, is typically what, what I'm referred to. But I mean, I'm Randall. This is a republic. So, Lord, you that's know. cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, the only time I, I, I ever go by Lord is when I'm wearing a cape. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're going to be have, like... Do you have a cape? You're damn right I have a cape. What color is it? What, color, right. what color is it? Of course it's black. Oh, sorry. So I walk around in my black cape sometimes on Halloween. It's my favorite time of year because I get to actually be a juvenile delinquent and walk around like I'm Count Dracula. And when coming from a castle, I'm like, oh, I never drink wine. But, but no, no, it's, 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 it's cool. And then, the, you know, the dressing up thing's kind of funny. I don't like dressing up in, like, going, you know, on horses and all that stuff. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a pedestrian. I walk or take a bike. You know, no horses for me. So no polo. Although it's ironic because all my whole family was always into horses and hunting. And here I am, the kind of guy not going for that sort of thing. You know. yeah. And was it like, because you know the way I've watched, I remember watching movies or I read books to my kids and a lot of them are kind of like, you know, they're kind of Walt Disney kind of prince and princessy kind of ones. But even there's usually the kind of like the upbringing as the child is being groomed by the king to be the next prince. There's a, there's a certain like they have to go through all these skills and they have to become proficient in many different things. Did, was there that an element to that? was 100% what it was. So, so as I, mean, I was going back to, that's why I digress. So when I was brought up, it was, I have to learn everything. I have to learn the history. I have to know our history. I have to be able to conduct myself at, at appropriate places. Because look, we, we don't live in a world where that stuff really means much anymore. But it's, it, you still have to perform. You know, you have to know how to, how to sit. You have to know how to position yourself. You have to know how to serve. You have to know how to look after, you know, weapons. You have to know how to look after paintings. You have to be a curator. That's what I am. I'm a modern day curator without getting paid for it, really. So, and so I have to know a bit about everything. You have to know the history of stuff. And we, my family's really strange. So when I said earlier that we're kind of like the samurai, we have certain codes that we're not allowed to break. So a lot of other families, it's about, you know, you, you get this and off you go and you try and make sure the roof doesn't fall in on your head. And, you know, what you do is what you do. Doesn't work in my family like that. We're like a cult. So um, one th rule, we're not allowed to sell what we didn't bring. Number one. You have wow. to bring modern so things. didn't bring as in... As in every generation has to, you know, wear a big canvas. So every generation makes their mark. Some are bigger than others. Some people do great things. Other people just manage. But everybody has to do something, whether that's modeling, adding work, adding, you know, labor. All these things have to happen. So every generation has done something. And every generation brings modern things of their time, right? So we can actually figure out who brought what simply by dating it. Wow, which is you're super the 21st. easy. I'm 21, yeah. 21, lucky wow. 21. Here, wow. here. And yeah. is there a, does that come with a pressure because there's 20 other people you're competing with to kind of be the top lord? So, so yeah, like unfortunately, I come from a family of of high high output people. So I have a saint. Well, I'm never going to be him, am I? Jesus, does, does, he, but I get to go to heaven because I got a man on the inside. <laughs> doesn't matter what I do. And just for anyone who doesn't know, it's it's Saint Oliver Plunkett, isn't yeah. it? The only canonized saint that's Irish. Yeah, because uh, Saint Patrick is uh, he's a counterfeit. He's he's uh, 
we kind of took him in and, and just called him Irish. But he's uh, he's, he's Scottish in, or something. I think he's Scottish Welsh, or Wel- think, Welsh. 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 Yeah, oh, think he's Welsh. I'm sorry, Wales. Sorry. I think he's Welsh. But it's also he's on a. We grew up playing Monopoly. Like when we used to go to the caravan then in West Cork. Our, we used to rent a mobile home down there and we used to play Monopoly and there'd always be Oliver Plunkett Street, Oliver Plunkett Street which was, yeah. you know, That's your, your great-grandfather. Yeah, now if you look at me very closely from the side, <laughs> you will see that we have the same hairline, the same face and although I don't, I'm not going to be sainted at any time soon. So, Who's although, know? you know, it's good to get be able to get someone on the inside. It's like, you know, when you go to a roll up to a nightclub, you kind of want to, you want to be the friends with the doorman. So I get to go and sneak in. I'm getting into heaven for people. That's 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 sort of guaranteed. Say, I got to say to my family. Yeah. So good. so I think the least I can do is uh, is get into heaven for all my sins, and then so he's one. Then I got. I, I, sorry, sorry to, to digress. To use your word, digress. What a great word. Um, how did he become a saint? Like, what is it like? Because uh, he had to die for his beliefs. So the, you know, he was Catholic, and he and he represented the Catholics, and then Cromwell came along arrested him and brought him to England, hung, drew and quartered him and, you know, basically all that stuff. And now his head's in Drogheda. Wow. And, wow. That, and that was just because he was so committed to his faith. Yeah. And, kind of and, faith and above flesh. Faith exactly. Above and flesh. didn't reject it. So, you know, and wow. then they had the, nobody in Ireland because he was quite liked here. Nobody in Ireland would uh, send him to the chamber. So they sent him to the England where they were only too keen to chop him up. Wow. When yeah. was that? Like 1700s? Oh, don't ask me dates. Oh, okay. Jesus. In the past. Where's Wikipedia? In the past. Yeah. In the past. 16, there you go. Sean Cow. See, uh, you can tell. Wow. Yeah, look from the yeah, side, from the side. Look, look very look. similar. He looks like someone out of the Three Musketeers. Now, if I let my hair down, now, to be fair, I'm not ginger. But, no, but everything else is kind of like, I've still got that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you've got a few curlers in and let the hair down, I think I Oh, I assure it. you, the curlers are there by themselves, I assure you. <laughs> I, have to, I have to tie it really tight, otherwise you're going to get like Afro man going on. Wow. So, so then there was him. So he's, you know, can't beat the saint. So then I had Horace Plunkett, who started the, the co-ops in Ireland. And then he helped with the Women's Association. He helped set up the Department of Agriculture. You know, he started, helped with the Land Act, giving, uh, we spent two and a half, sorry, the, he spent the family fortune, nearly bankrupted us, and built two and a half thousand schools. Because his belief was, if we educate Ireland, we can stand level with, with England. And that's not the same as being controlled. Wow. So it was a different attitude. But if you think about the sacrifice you made to, to, you know, uplift the people, that's very unusual for people of, you know, the ruling class to do that. Um, but he nearly bankrupted us. In fact, we were almost broke and going to lose the place. And then my great-grandfather came along and he said, I'm going to be a writer, which normally means, oh, broke. Um, but he said, no, no, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to make some money writing. And he did. And he became one of the godfathers of fantasy. Wow. And then, yeah. What so, was his name? His name is... Um, um, sorry. Uh, Lord Dunsany 18, so he would be Edward. <laughs> Lord Dunsany 18. We go by numbers in my house. So, so he was um, 18. Wow. Yeah. And he wrote, was he similar? So vintage? he did. Um, I heard he was an inspiration for Tolkien and lots yeah, of that's, other that's remarkable true. writers. That's true. And then, um, and Lovecraft was a big one. Wow. So, um, so he started a lot. He was very, very, um, I think he had two and a half thousand works. Wow. wow. Which, I mean, I feel really bad that I only wrote two paragraphs. <laughs> yesterday not gonna hit 2000 anytime soon even if i am vegan and i live for a hundred years <laughs> um so that's that sucks and then my father was a was a painter and my mom was one of the first women building high rises in brazil so let's just say yeah big shoes to fill just a bit um so yeah so well, I, you're doing pretty well like you've you know the way you know you're de- death metal you know um 
and into movie production, but then you've got this incredible vision and strength and something which I really, really admire what you've done with the land and rewilding it. Like, I think this is a massive, like, this is a hugely brave move in a, you know, as, as we said, like, you come from a family of traditions and systems and structures, and you've really gone kind of counterculture in a sense and gone away from the farming with a lot of the land. And very progressive in a traditional manner. But you see, here's, here it is, right? I don't think I'm really that progressive for my family. I'm progressive by maybe my neighbors. But the thing is, is that, you know, we are, you know, when you get born in privilege, you know, a lot of people think, ah, you're just lucky you get to live off the fat of the land. It's not that. You live in servitude. I serve a place, right? I, my, my job in this life is to better what is already there, add more, add something to it. Because if you take and waste, waste is, 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 um, is an awful, awful sin, right? It's the 11th sin. Um, so, but you have to add to it. You have to emp- empower people. And, and back in the old days, in the medieval times, you know, you had the duty of kings and lords and knights was to protect the people and give them a better sense of life. Yeah, a lot of people abused it and they, they, they whipped them and, and did all those bad things. But the idea, the ideology behind it was you protect your place and you try and do better by it. And that's why I sort of believe that my family is a little bit different because I really, truly believe in that. I want to uplift my place. So I start with my, where I am at home. Because the truth is, we're a very, very sophisticated civilization now. You know, Ireland has come so far, even like with what you guys have done, you've completely changed the landscape of food in Ireland, right? Because now when people are trying to do a brand, the first thing people say to me is like, oh, we're kind of trying to be like the happy pair guys. So you've changed an ideology and you changes it slowly. It starts with making better choices. Now, I can't cure the past. I can't cure that somebody lost this or somebody didn't do that. But what I can do is change the, f- the projection of the future. And my idea is we need our environment. That History doesn't matter if we don't have the environment. It's not one thing or the other. We have our language. We're, gonna, we're doing a good job keeping that. We have our history. We're not forgetting that anytime soon. And thanks to Google, we can now survive with all that. But the environment is not so good. The government's not doing it, or at least not enough. Um, so it takes somebody to draw a line in the sand. Unfortunately, it's the hack filmmaker who has to take a step forward. But I do it gladly because, you know, I was given a gift. And some people can squander a gift. Or you can, you can use it for the better things, which is trying to uplift where I am. Now, I can't solve global warming by myself. But it starts with the first move. And then hopefully others will follow. And, and this is the thing. It's like it's, I'm using my position and using my abilities, you know, Entertainment is kind of what, what I do, but I kind of know how to, should we say, frame something that it's entertainment, it's enjoyable, it's easy. I'm not some rocket science scientist or anything, so it's not me going to come up with the science, but I can lay the, the table for the real scientists to come in and do the studies. Because imagine what we can discover if we just allow the science to work. Because it's never really been studied this kind of area before. Not in, a, in the sense we could find medicine, we could find food, we could find animals we've never discovered. But we need to allow an opportunity for science to happen. And and this is this is in rewilding. This is when yeah. you're like true rewilding. So re, rewilding. Nine, nine, what, what is just, it? There's 900 acres that you're so, rewilding in mead, isn't it? No, it's it's Six, 900. About 750 is the rewilding, and then the other 950 is traditional farming. Wow. Well, there's a little bit of hemp in there, but we won't we won't tell anyone. But uh, no, I'm very keen on that. Now, obviously, we start small. 
I'd love to, it all to be organic tomorrow and stuff like that. But look, to be honest with you, it's all paid for by me. And for the first five years, it was a secret. I didn't tell anyone. I just did it. Because the truth of the matter is, even a revolution in silence is, is a revolution nonetheless. And when I started doing it, I didn't know. I didn't have a name for it. I was just, you know, I just felt that something was wrong. I had a bit of an instinct that nature would do the right thing. And, you know, I never thought that I was smarter than nature. And I never knew... I was going to discover what I discovered because as but because I sat there for seven years. Now you should know about me. I don't leave the place really. I'm always there. So I watched times and seasons go. Animals appear, plants, and you know I didn't know anything when I started. I was I was ignorant. So this journey made me learn things. I just you know and nowadays you know what I do when I'm sitting there before bed when my eyes are passing out. And it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm cuddling a puppy and I'm sitting there. I'm reading about plants. I'm reading about these kinds of bits of history because I need to remember this stuff. I need to be on the game. I'm trying to sell an, a, a different opinion that maybe one day we could have, you know, it could lead to something amazing in 300 years time. But don't. it's not about remembering anything in, from back then in 300 years. But if we just tilt society in a certain way, who knows what the next generation will achieve? But and, and tilt it in the idea of kind of cult because nowadays, like how I understand it is like rewilding at its root is at the moment, you know, Ireland used to be 80% forest and it used to be a very kind of rich in terms of biodiversity, nature. Nature was the predominant force. Whereas nowadays, if you look at Ireland as a country, it's got 1% forest. It's got a lot more urban, you know, it, it's a lot more urban than it historically was. And rewilding is about letting nature kind of take over and encouraging more biodiversity and so, more and what's biodiversity mean? Uh, more varieties of species within a given measurement of terrain as in animals and plants and stuff correct so my argument is this because a lot of people accuse me and say ah you know that guy he's just lazy he's under he's overprivileged he just you know take the land off him so my argument for that is no i'm not saying do, let's rewild the entire country because that would be crazy what I'm merely doing is I'm creating my own test site at my own cost. Government's not paying for it. Got no subsidies of any kind. It's completely pure. Money contain the opinion. You know, you, you'll do, if you get a bit of money, suddenly, well, you want to be favorable towards a certain opinion. I don't have any opinion in terms of what's there studied, what's understood is understood. It's completely pure. The only thing, the only caveat that I put to it is it has to be vegan. I don't abuse anything. All animals are equal in my eyes. And because one of the things I believe in is if we want to cure prejudice, we want to cure racism, we want to cure sexism, it starts with changing the way our minds work. And when you put something over another thing, that begins the first step into, into having, you know, one is better than the other. This sex is better than that sex. And that's how it starts. You know, it starts with one step and just preference. So I don't do that. I try and unlearn all those uh, programming. The programming, and that's what it is, because a baby doesn't have a difference. It's it's those things are learned. I assure you. So I'm trying my best. Now it's not always easy. I'm, I'm not uh, the Dalai Lama or anything, but you know, it starts with small steps, and that was one of my first steps. So this is a the first vegan rewilding project, as far as I know, in the world. Wow. Um, so we don't harvest anything, um, and anything that happens happens naturally. I don't put anything extra in there. Uh, all the plants come. The only thing I do do, and I will say this because I, I cheat a little bit. I plant trees because I love trees. <laughs> um, so, but I plant native trees mostly. So, except for a few beaches because I like beaches. Wow. Um, so, so that's all I do. I mean, we planted two and a half thousand trees last year. I intend to do three thousand this year. Oh, uh, great overachieving! I, 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 I really admire. Like most of us, 
think in kind of weeks or months or maybe possibly might think three year plan you can you because of the sense of you know you're as, as we mentioned there that sense of place that you come from this lineage and you remember the 18th uh, yeah. lord and i'm the 21st lord you can think of the hundreds of years it's like this uh it was who was it it was uh was it richard heinberg said that you know people in political power should think it was i think it was helena nurberg hodge she said people in political power should think you know seven generations of the future as opposed to their their four-year term and i think your ability to think in this longer time frame tends to think what's the best thing we can do to serve as opposed to how can i sustain my position of power so it's like this i mean when you when you have 900 years of history behind you you think about all the sacrifices people made. I mean, look at look at all the trees. If you go when you guys come, and you look at all the trees, you're going to see 300 year old oaks. You're going to see stuff like that. Now, they all started as saplings. I mean, somebody went there, planted a little stubby little sapling, and guys said, "Well, that's not something to get very excited about," and then walked around. And now I'm walking around these towering trees, and I think to myself, "It's like you know, the trees I planted, I'm never going to see them grow." But I don't think anymore. As an individual, that's one of the first things I've learned now in my time taken over is I've stopped trying to think about myself all the time and started looking way down the future and not waiting for what's popular or whatever. Like the environment needs the help today and we need to plan for 300 years from now, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not good enough. We need to plan three because, you know, the trees I'm looking at, they were planted by somebody and they never got to enjoy the trees, but they got to enjoy other things. We have to set ourselves up for a better tomorrow. And that's where we, you know, people can blame and point their finger. It's the government that should be doing. No, look, everybody's got a windowsill. Most people have a windowsill anyway. So what are you doing? Plant some herbs, plant a sapling, go in and uh, go buy some flowers. It all helps. It really does. And if everybody does it, it's not about changing everything. It's about just making better choices. It starts with what you eat on your plate, then goes to not throwing that plastic bottle into the sea. And you guys are swimmers. You guys know the, the, the costs of all of that. So, you know, it's, it's making better choices. And then slowly, small choices become bigger choices. And then gradually we have change. But it takes a long time view. It's, it doesn't happen tomorrow. And you have to be patient. You know, the one thing that if you look at anybody in any skill set, whether you're an athlete, whether you're, you know, a philosopher, the common thing that you see is consistency and long-term thinking because you have to plan you, you know if you're an athlete you have to train sensibly there's no point in you killing it and then your legs are broken and your arms are giving out and your shoulders you're spending more time at physio than you are training you got to pace yourself you got to you got to look ahead and say right i need to make myself last i need to plan my you know i, I was uh i was listening to that boxing match last night um jake paul versus um what's his i had to go who um, was well, Paul won, Did he? but it was the, you know, that YouTuber. Um, and the thing is, I mean, you look at that, that's a five round fight. You can't just give everything you got in the first round because otherwise you're going to get pounded for four rounds. So, you know, you got to plan and fight ahead. Uh, Woodley, that was it. So, you know, and those are typical strategies, you know, strategies of how you do business, strategy to how you, you go into a fight, strategies, how you play a football match, all of these strategies. And it's the same with rewilding. I'm setting it up. And I'm hoping that in time, we understand it. We learn more. Because education, um, understanding, that leads to power. And if, look, you know, I'm not happy with the way things are. So do something about it. But there's no point you pointing your finger and saying, oh, that guy should be doing something. Why don't you look in the mirror first? 
And does it, does it, uh, like, do you expect that this rewilding, like you're seven years into it now, that these will turn into forests over time? Is that what kind of you expect to happen as it unfolds? You know, that's what I thought at the beginning. I thought everything would just turn into forest. Now, not that that would be all bad. Let's be honest. Ireland needs plenty of forest. Uh, and Meath needs even more because we have no forest in Meath uh, or next to none. So other than spruce. So there's a couple of areas that are turning into brush. But there's actually a whole bunch of areas what, that are not... What do you mean by brush? So small saplings and things pulling up. And you see, like, there's one area that used to be tillage. So it's turned into, like, all these wildflowers and weird kind of, like, um, what do you call it? Like, briars and things like that, you know. And um, and then we've seen things like all different kinds of trees. Oaks, um, beech. I've even found a little spruce there. Now, none of that was planted by me, mind the way. It's all come with the birds because the first thing that happens with rewilding, with anything like that, is you create the habitat. The first thing you notice is the insects. Then the common birds, you know, your pigeons and things like that. Then come the birds of prey. And then suddenly you have a lot of biodiversity and the smaller birds are bringing in seeds from all over the place. And then it's it's a melting pot of things. And you know what? The thing I've noticed with Dunsany as well, we have very little disease in our trees. Now, one could argue maybe that's just by pure coincidence and luck and that I'm willing to accept that. But it still stands. We have very little disease. And you, you'd you kind of hypothesize that it's down to the biodiversity well, that it in itself brings more sustainability and a stronger... Well, let's put it this way. More biodiversity means stronger genes, fresh gene pools, more, more resistance, adaptation. more yeah. adaptation. Yeah, Because what spreads is, and this is the same with mindsets as well. If you have everybody looking in one direction, what you want is free ideas. And free ideas lead to discussion. You know, everybody has a different opinion. Don't get me wrong. We're not all going to agree. But a healthy society is one that has full of different culture and full of different ideas. If we all think one way, then there's no civilization that does that that doesn't eventually collapse on itself. Mm. So it, like I said, it's we're living in a completely unique uh, situation now because we have all these different ideas, all these different cultures, so many different opinions on science. But the truth of the matter is we're gathering all, we're enriching the human race with that. And we have to keep doing that because the moment we start to stagnate, well, then we have a problem. Wow. So resistance against stagnation is, the, is, is what we need. Now, like I said, we have some opinions. We've seen some things. It's still early. It's only seven. What happens in 70 years? Now, I'm not going to be there, so you can send me a postcard to heaven where I'm <laughs> going to be sitting there with Elvis. But everybody I'm on, else... I'm on, on your, your, uh, the, the 18th. No, what is it? The, the, yeah. the 17th. It's probably the 17th. Oh, or, yeah. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be nudging, nudging him and doing... We'll probably be playing black, blackjack or something, you know. But we'll be, looking, we'll be looking down and I'll be seeing probably, hopefully, lots of trees and everything will be solar paneled and, and everybody's nobody's going to have a television set. I'll still be the only one. By the way, guys, when I die, I'm being buried with my Blu-ray and my DVDs and my vinyls. Yeah, that's right. I still buy Blu-rays and DVDs. I'm the only one I think left, but uh, you know. Because I heard in something, like I heard, I was listening to your podcast this morning you did with Dave Fanning and you said about your CDs and your CD collection. I was like, oh, CDs. I th I, the only thing at place I CDs now is hanging off trees to keep birds oh. eating the fruit and things like that. <laughs> oh. So I didn't realize. You're like, killing me here. <laughs> like mom, I think, has a few CDs that she, no, I don't even think mom, mom has, has CDs a anymore. few CDs. You know, I, I had uh, the one that kills me the most is because my stepdaughter, she was, I was like, oh, grab, here's the DVD, go put it in the player. And she's like, I don't know how. 
And I'm like, oh, brilliant. How did that happen that I became old? Like, I'm still there. I'm still at the DVDs. I, I bought some DVDs yesterday. No, I know it's not the first. Where, where do you buy a DVD now? I was in Golden Disc. Wow. Yeah. God, it's not some I foreign thing. Get, it's not I like trying to get them online. It's like, hey, you got any DVDs? It's like buying drugs nowadays. It's like, are you holding? Are you holding? Yeah. And that's the problem. Like, it's, it's um, yeah. So I'm still that guy who's got, you know, a lot of those things. Can, can, I, can I bring it back? Like, no, can I, can I, ask one, one, I just want to ask one thing. Okay, one so thing about we're and then both getting excited here. Well, we can, maybe they, we can piggyback on one other. I was just going to say that, so nowadays, like I was reading something that they, like the UN came out with a report and they said that we need to rewild a country the size of China in order to meet our kind of climate needs right at the moment so you're this being is globally you're this talking. is globally yeah so you're being very progressive in a sense because i know you've got no support of the government and you're being you really are leading from the front in terms of ireland and is there other projects that are happening globally or other people that are so, is there a movement starting in terms of this? there is and don't get me wrong not all of them are the same so there's different tiers of rewilding. Some people have a sort of a more managed rewilding. They do sort of safari parks and things like that. And that, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. And they do, you know, uh, they do things like, like that and they monetize it that way. And that's, you look, everybody's got to pay the mortgage. We all got one. Then you got some, I do a little bit of management in the sense that I look after some of the woodlands. I, I remove 50% of fallen trees will be removed eventually for things like wood or firewood things like that. The other 50% stay on the ground. We always leave stuff behind. That's very important. Um, we're allowed to take, but we must leave some behind. Did you watch that documentary, Fantastic Fungi? Oh, where it showed I, I the, ama- of- the amount of life that grows from a dead tree. Like a, a dead tree get, brings more life than it does living. Something yeah. like that. So, so here's the thing, right? So I've always believed in fungus a lot. And it's not because I was a student and there was lots of magic mushrooms in my time because there was a few of those too. But that's not what it was. So I've always believed in fungus because the problem is that we have is we are very narrow-minded when we look at something. We look at what we see above the ground. So we see, ah, the tree is dead. Let's knock it down and, you know, burn it maybe, right? And we leave nothing behind. But what we're not looking at is what's in the soil, how the soil communicates, you know, because there's everything works in, in balance. Everything... You know, everything in nature has a knock-on effect. There's, an, uh, there's something that happens, there's a reaction, and there's everything in between. See, we're not very good at looking at things that way. You know, we, we kind of only see part of the, the picture. So I'm a big advocate of leaving dead trees to stand. Eventually, what happens when a dead tree dies in a forest is the leaves fall off, and then suddenly light shines into the forest. So the first thing that happens is oh, the dangerous briars and the nettles and those ugly thistles grow. And then everybody's upset, wants to cut them all down and plant a whole bunch of spruce. Uh, not me, no. What we do is we, 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 uh, we love all that because the first thing that happens is all of that happens. Then we get the glorious hawthorn. Lots of hawthorn starts growing. Hawthorns are bushes? Hawthorn is a sort of shrub that is spiky and has berries. So it brings fruit, which feeds the birds. The birds who are going to drop what? Seeds. And the hawthorn and briars and nettles and all the things that everybody hates protects the trees because hawthorn grows fairly, it's fairly hardy and it's spiky and deer, for example, don't like it. So they'll keep away from it. But the slow growing trees, which for example, the deer do like and the rabbits and stuff will grow in between. Now between the, the briars, the briars between the briars like, so it's almost and like it's own natural barbed wire. Exactly. And that's one of the main policies that we do at the estate. So when something dies, we leave it. And eventually, look, uh, 
you create a, like a bushy scrub area full of like hawthorn and briars and then a few oaks and beeches growing in between and maybe some ash or something like that. And then eventually those trees will either fall down and water, so it might be clear some of the competition. Yeah. But it's, ins it's insulated it enough that it's grown to a certain size, given it an opportunity. Right? And now you have, you know, 100 years go by, and now you have a completely covered forest. Because hawthorn will grow in the shadows. They'll grow in the shade of a tree. But oak needs to be, it needs a bit of space. It needs the light. And so, and those are the trees that we all want. But there's no point putting a plastic thing. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with sticking a plastic thing other than the fact that it uses a bit of oil. But the truth is that's nature's way of doing it. But it, unfortunately, that takes a while. And you've got you know, you to learn to appreciate the briars. Now, I personally love briars. I think I'm the biggest briar farmer in County Mead. It's the first time I've ever heard of anyone describe it so succinctly that it actually, you know, and I think it's that, that broader perspective on time that there's almost inbuilt patience to appreciate the sophistication of the ecosystem. But you have to watch. See, yeah. if you look at something long enough, you, you begin to, to understand it. You see, we, we're... In a, in a fast-moving society, you know, we got TikTok, we're drinking coffee, we're going around, we got to move, we got to make money, we got to do it. We got to get our abs. Got to get abs. Well, some of us hey. are getting abs. Other people are just eating chocolate Whatever here. It might be. Mind you, the camera's still on, so I'm going to, when the moment that comes off, that chocolate's gone. <laughs> it's gone. So anyway, um, but the thing is, if you look at something long enough, you begin to learn about it. You understand. That's what happened with me and Rewilding. I did not know any of this stuff when I started. I was a painfully ignorant person. I mean, you ask me the difference between an ash tree and a beach, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But now I sit around and I, and I listen. And I sit there, I'm like listening to the specialists and I got the scientists coming in and they're telling me stuff. And I'm like, oh, so that's what that is. I always knew that. <laughs> of course I didn't know that. Yeah, how, how did you get into this? How did you get into rewilding? Can I say one thing that's relevant? I was just going to say, on the topic of what you were just talking about, like a friend was saying, he, he has to cover his trees, his baby oak trees, like he plants them and he covers them in plastic just to protect them. And he said it's protecting them from the deers because yeah. the deer love young, young baby sapling. saplings. They and do. And what previously used to happen in Ireland, there used to be wolves and the wolves would cull the deers so the deers wouldn't eat all the trees. So it kind of sustained itself. And when the wolves kind of disappeared out of the food chain, the deers kind of went rampant and they eat a lot of the baby trees. And that might've been part of the contributing factor. I don't know if this is true. This is purely speculative. Nope. It's Any all true. It's all true. hundred percent. And I'll tell you something, right? So I planted two and a half thousand trees. I told you guys that earlier. Now, of those two and a half thousand trees, now I did not put any plastic containers over them. Now, I know a couple of your audience probably saying, well, he's a moron. And you'd be absolutely right. But you right. plant them in the, the I, briars. So I plant them. Here's what I do, right? A certain amount of casualties are going to happen, right? Which is part of an eco chain. But if you look at nature and you look at the forest, and I spend a lot of time in the forest and not making black metal albums or anything like that, but, but I spend a lot of time and I look around. You will always notice that, the, and this is the funny thing as well, the trinity of studying. We've noticed that the patterns, the deer will destroy certain areas of trees and leave others alone. We don't understand it. There doesn't seem any rhyme or reason why they will pick one section, not the other. And so some trees will, because um, things will always revitalize. Um, and what I've noticed with my experiences with trees, so they will maybe destroy maybe 35 to 40% of the trees I've planted. Some will be attacked and will still survive, and then some will go completely untouched. There are mechanisms you can do, like, like I said, planting a lot of hawthorn, planting things near briars. Those are really good. Um, but there's a lot of tree regeneration going on in Dunsany. But one thing which is very bizarre that we started seeing, and I'm very fascinated by it. So 
you've probably heard about all the rhododendron issues that people have all over the place nowadays. Or we that the, the national parks have to go and take down all this rhododendron because it's completely invading everything. So we don't have rhododendron. Is that because they're a foreign species they're, and they're, they're not native to this island? They came with the Victorians, right? Because they're beautiful. But they have not much uh, benefit in terms of diversity because what happens with them, they're very beautiful, like I said. For gardens, they're fantastic. But when they get exposed to the landscape, they will suck up all the light. So nothing grows underneath them. They have big leathery leaves, which means when they fall down, they block the sun to the ground, and they literally just, they're very hardy. You can't get rid of them. They're like Japanese knotweed, right? We have something called laurel, which is the bastard cousin of rhododendron. And it works much the same way. And they typically used to plant it in the Victorian period because it was decorative, because of the hunting, all that kind of stuff. Now, there's none of that stuff going on in Dunsany anymore, but we still have it. And we started noticing that parts of our laurel was disappearing. Now, at first, it started just things getting knocked over, things getting stripped, new leaves being taken down. Everything from a certain height was disappearing. Now, I should point out that uh, deer don't eat laurel. It's, it's sort of poisonous. And we started seeing that the deer started destroying sections of it and leaving other sections alone. And this started happening around year six. And it happened this last six, six end of five, six, it started happening. It happened a lot. And then in year seven, it happened a lot as well. Now we're getting close to year eight and they did a lot this year. There's one section in particular that they've completely mowed down. They've knocked the trees down and squash them. And every week I, I take a visitors around and every week I see new leaves appearing and then the following week, gone. They are pummeling this stuff. And yet six meters next to it, there are ash trees, there are beech trees, there's hawthorn, there's... And those are trees that they like. And they're untouched. Right. So they're almost untouched. like trying to kill off the laurel. That's, it's too early to speculate, but I think, and this is just my ignorant filmmaker opinion, that we are starting to see something that possibly happened at Yellowstone Park, which is because we've been rewilding for so long, we took the farm animals off the land. So that means there is not, um, there's not, for, uh, deer don't particularly like cattle. So they stay away from, they don't obviously, human um, activity also scares them in a certain way. But when they've had their, their way with the land and the harvest, the grass is never harvested. It lives, it grows, it dies, and it breaks down into the soil. Um, what I think is happening now, their behavior is changing. They're starting to stay longer periods of time in the, in the main rewilding areas. And they're starting to reshape the forest because they keep the paths open. They keep the tracks open. I, in fact, nine months of the year, my, my employees do not cross the fields. They're allowed to go one way in, one way out. We have, a so, we have a minimalist attitude to intervention with the land because what we're trying to see is we're trying to promote massive species return. Now, I talk about patience and all that stuff, but I don't really like to be patient myself. I want to see stuff happen now. Um, yeah, you've got to get a lot done. You're like the I've got 21st. to get a lot done. Like, You're the 21st. Jesus. I'm, I mean, You're competing with a saint. I'm competing with the saint, for God's sake. So, but my attitude is if we allow things to be as natural as possible with the, the minimum uh, in intervention... First thing, species, more nesting species, like, you know, the more fearful species will have more opportunity to grow, to, to breed, and we'll have those species back. And, you know, we have a, had a, very success, a lot of success with things coming back, like very quickly. Now, we have red kites, we have snipe. A red kite, sir. What's a Denny? snipe? The word a snipe amazing. is a little wet bird with, with, with a long pointy nose. So, now, 100 years ago, there were loads of them in Dunsanian, but in my lifetime, I've never seen one. And I was walking with the national parks and we were trudging through the dirt and I was saying, oh, you know, my dream is to have snipe. 
And the guy from National Parks pulled up his binoculars and looked and was like, well, there's one over there. <laughs> I was like, wow, good, off the bucket list there, great. What else do I want? I always wanted zebras. <laughs> Are there any peregrine falcons up there? There is. There is. Uh, the world, yeah, there the, is. For anyone listening, peregrine falcon is the world's fastest bird. It can fly, it can descend faster than any plane, I believe. I could be wrong. But they're super cool. Me and my daughter got really into them at They're one super stage. cool. They're super hard to take photos of, by the way. Yeah, the, the, so they're, they're like really awkward. You know, there's another bird that we found. And I'm not sure it, what it is exactly, but we believe it could be dun, 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 dun. a goshawk. No way. Now, hold on now. Let me, let me tell you my story. Right? I'm getting very excited here. <laughs> so, so I was walking and I saw this thing and it looked like an eagle. Right now... I, you know, it's, I don't live in America. There's no eagles here as far as I know. And if I did, I'm too ignorant to know what, what they look like. <laughs> so I was walking and this thing looked, now it looked like a buzzard, but it was bigger. And it had like a weird kind of movement that kind of was sitting on a tree. And I was like, what the is that? And it kind of did this thing. And I thought the tail kind of moved out. And I thought, is it, is it a red kite? No, not red kite because it's not a fork on the tail. And then it kind of flew, it saw me and then it flew so fast. I've never seen a bird shoot through trees like that before. And I was like, and it had like a, a kind of gray plumage. So I went to talk to my man. I was like, have you ever seen this? And he goes, you know what? I saw the, saw the fella yesterday. And it's not a buzzard, but it looks a bit like a buzzard, but with a weird eagle face. It's like, yeah, that's it. So I've seen it about seven times. And you know, I'm a little bit like I got, I told you I got two left feet and I got two right hands. So I was sitting there trying to get my phone out. Never get a photo of the thing. And everybody, I've told the guys at Birdwatch Ireland, I've told my mate, who's, who's the guy who takes all the photographs for the page. And I was like, first we thought it could have been a hen harrier, but like I looked at it and I was like, it looks a bit like that, but it's not the right kind of place for it. So goshawk more likely, forest as well. Wow. And, and they're, they're nobody believes bird. me, right? I mean, a couple of people, I was taking a tour when a couple of people saw it and they were like, that's not a buzzard. Nobody has seen it. Nobody, nobody important has seen it. So I'm sitting there and everybody thinks that I'm smoking the old, uh, the old marijuana, taking the, the magic mushrooms. I'm seeing imaginary birds, but I'm telling you this thing's here and I'm, tr I'm hoping that it will Maybe you need to be a lord to see it. Well, that is. <laughs> or maybe it's Noel has turned himself into a magic bird and now he's not flying around. But <laughs> what Saint I was going to ask you, would it be so hard for Mr. Goshawk to stop and take a selfie Pose with me? Pose for a photo. Come on. And then I'd, uh, then I'd send it to, to, the, to the authorities and say, you see, see, rewilding Biodiversity. Works. Biodiversity. By the way, you can send the, you can send the checks to Dunsany Productions. <laughs> but no, um, this is so, all these species have come in return, including my mysterious bird that could be a gossip. Um, or it's, uh, it's an American eagle that has escaped. One of the two. I love it. And then how did you, like, what brought you on to this rewilding pattern? Because it seems to be... You know, hearing you speak about it, you speak with a real reverence and respect and kind of like, although you're saying you don't know a huge amount, you know a huge amount more than me anyway. The average urbanite. Of, the average urbanite in terms of just, just the beauty and the sophistication of nature and how wonderfully it dances symbiotically together. Like how, what, what, how did you go to get into rewilding from being, you know, person that was being groomed to be, you know, a lord and now suddenly you're madly passionate about rewilding and you're really trying to, you know, bring back biodiversity, more sustainability and come up with solutions to climate change. So, you know, when you see something that's wrong and you don't know necessarily how to fix the problem, but you know that there's a problem. That's sort of how it was for me. Um, we had tried when I first took over 
and my father tried as well. We were always, by the way, I'm how, not the how, first how one. How old did you first take over? How old did Ooh, you? Oh, it was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. So you so, were 28, Yeah, I was, I was, well, I'd like to say I was 28 years young, but I was 28 years old, unfortunately. Um, but my father had good intention. Like we've always, the family has always planted trees. That's, that's one of our things. Um, and, and was it typically like, was the land, it was farming and it was hunt, hunting took place there? Did no, it? my dad wasn't too much into hunting and we were really abused badly by the hunting community. I mean, we had a lot of poaching and we had a lot of gentlemen on horses, the sophisticated people, not like us savages who live in the towers. Um, but anyway, so we, we were getting a lot of that. We tried to put a stop to that. We didn't like cruelty. Even my dad was never into that. Like, you know, a, a society is measured by how it treats things, you know, and that's how I see it. Like, you know, a, a just society doesn't go around abusing things like that. So, but that's my opinion. You don't have to, you don't have to subscribe. To so like opinion. as in animals, abusing animals or animal crew. Exactly. It's, it's not as, look, if you say to me that we need to do something because of life health something like that i can i can i can understand that we have to make tough decisions every day but if it's for sport and we don't have to do that every day why why should we do it you know i i'm all about peace and love i want to do things that are positive i don't think i want to destroy anything not unless i have to mostly my hearing gets destroyed every day but oh. that's something else that's something else you're good at the dad jokes i'm good at the dad <laughs> jokes I'm, I'm good at, no I'm, I'm, I'm not about destruction i'm all As about a dad who gets commended on my dad jokes that was pretty good oh thank you very much they said uh, i'm here all week tip, tip your waitress that was another one oh. yeah, he's on a roll by the way anyone who's not been on this podcast should definitely come and be in part of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, where, I lost my train of thought. So you did twenty-eight. You were twenty-eight years so, oh, young. Yeah. So so I, basically, my story was this, right? My 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 epilogue, my story. My so I was uh, I took over. The idea was always look. We always need money because these estates are nobody who has an estate like this, unless you're you know some giant gangster or you're some Alibaba kind of like you know, tycoon who invented Google or something, you can afford a place like this. You're always struggling. You're always plugging holes. So, so, it, so in spite of what people think, you know, the way people think, like it's easy looking out from the ins outside, go, well, you've got all these, you've got a big house, you've got all this land, like surely you must be just rolling around in a money pit all day. So you saw my car. It's it's a nice it's car, a but it's, car. It's, 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 I think 12 it's or 13 years old. Well, it mimics me, obviously. Right, I think I think I, my car and I represent each other very well. We're covered in kind of like muck and dog hair, and uh, that's pretty much me. But the thing is, like, no, it's 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 some of it is an illusion because you're always plugging stuff. Old stuff breaks all the time, vis-a-vis -vis an old car. Um, but the thing is, no, so you're always needing more money because there's always a roof, and of course, when anyone comes to me. They smile and go, ooh, extra zero attached to that check. Oh, that invoice is going to be big. Ooh. So I get that a lot. So I, you know, sometimes I get, I get my secretary to pretend to be me and just say, oh, yeah, we need, we need a bit of work done on the roof. Uh, how much is it per square meter or whatever? And then they're all, you know, they give me a general. And I'm like, ha, huh, fooled you. I live <laughs> in a castle. <laughs> but, how but big I, is the castle? So... 15 bedrooms something like that Whoa. yeah it's not a golf course by the way so it's like and we're does not it, a hotel and we don't does it have any does oh, it have oh, I knocked first over casualty my, of I knocked over my tea I was getting Sorry, excited 15 bedrooms 15 bedrooms <laughs> but does it have a it, tower it, as well it takes me a week to hoover by the way does yeah. it and, and you are looking at a man who has slept with a hat on because it's so goddamn cold of course yeah so but I will tell you one thing though 
it also makes you sturdy. I never get a cold. I haven't had a cold in years, right? Because these, it's like, that, that's often the illusion. We always romanticize these old, beautiful houses, but the reality is no. there's a cost to romance, as any, any romantic knows. I'll tell you, there's so much draft that I got to shut all the doors when in, in there's a windstorm because you will actually knock paintings off the walls, wow. right? I mean, you're, like I said, you're talking to a man who slept with a hat on. So like wow, Santa Claus. Hardy Randall. I'm, har- I'm Hardy you're Randall. I'm a Hardy Lord. <laughs> so anyway. Good question. Does, does it, uh, did you make part of it like really warm? Like a small little part of it that's warm and comfortable and cozy? Or is it like all a bit kind of It can be warm. Windy? It just requires me to have the heating on 24-7. I can tell you, you know the price of oil in this country. Yeah. And, and electric, I'm on an industrial electric meter. So it's not like, oh, well, it's like two or 300 euros a month. No, I'm on industrial, baby. It's like 900 euros a month or up to, I get, my typical bills are in the thousands every, every month. For heating. So I think it's like, I averaged, my last bill was averaged at 20 euros a day. And I assure you, I am not growing marijuana in the castle. <laughs> okay. So uh, just, just saying, just saying, I'm not, I've not got my crystal meth laboratory or anything in the basement. No, but uh, we will, we will be having squat parties there eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh-huh. And that, that'll embarrass the kids big time. <laughs> Dad's being weird again. <laughs> and then, Randall, when, when, like, how did you get into, sorry to digress again, but how did you get back into rewilding? Because I think that's fascinating. Like, just, you know, you've asked that question twice now. I, I okay, twice. I know, I know. But I have to ask it more, but I'm really enjoying the process of asking it. Like, because it's something that's so amazing. I think it's groundbreaking. I think you're really cutting a new edge, and I love hearing you talk. So, okay. Well, thank you, you very much. that one up, differently this time yeah. Yeah. Same so how I got it was second punt at it Randall Sorry, second attempt second attempt <laughs> guys okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the whole story and then we'll talk about it so my idea was you'll try and do better choices organic farming all that cool stuff have you ever seen an animal get dehorned it's not nice I I, I remember the first bunch of cattle I got they came with their heads bleeding and I was like, this is, this is savagery. Like, we're a first world country. Why? These animals are in pain. I had to go there and, you know, clean the wounds. And I was like, this is not right. And then I saw the chemicals. And I was looking at the chemicals. And it was like this and genetically modified this. And I'm like, firstly, genetically modified? What? No, get away from me. No way. That stuff's evil. So I was looking at all this stuff. Oh, soya from somewhere, barley from somewhere Just else. Just to feed the animals. Yeah, and I'm be- thinking to myself, I was like, look, this a cattle should be eating grass. Like, why are they eating barley and soya and all this other stuff? And why is there like a big weird label that says genetic? And and what's that going to do to us, right? So I was like, and and you know, these are antifungals and and all this anti-worming medicines. I mean, firstly, fungus is is important. We all can agree it's one of the most important parts of life. I've always believed that. I don't need no Netflix documentary to tell me that, although I loved it. It was great. Um, But so that was not right to me. All these things didn't feel right. And I thought, well, I could go, you know, completely organic. But I mean, you're still getting past the point where, you know, there's feces, you're, you're taking from the land and you're not allowing it to recover. You're not allowing, you have to keep putting fertilizer. I remember I was partnered with a farmer and he said, oh, we have to spray this land. I'm like, spray the land? For what? And he goes, well, you know, the cattle are eating much of it. And then, you know, so I'm like, well, shouldn't we just let it recover? I'm like, that's not how it's done. What? Lunchbox drops, what? Not how it's done. Let the land recover. Leave something for the animals. Not on my watch. So I was kind of like, so none of this sit well with me. And you know, I was, I was writing a movie 
And I was thinking a lot about what would happen if people just vanished. Like, what would the landscape look like? We have a post-apocalyptic, I am legend, Randall and his dog with a shotgun and zombies. What would happen? Well, you know, because I, I was watching The Walking Dead and I, you know, I was watching that and I was like, this is rubbish. All their grass is cut. That's rubbish. We're like, where, where's, where's the weeds? Like, no, that must have been some, some other movie. But I was sitting there watching that and I was like, that doesn't look realistic. Look at their cars, are so clean. And anyway, apart from ripping into The Walking Dead, or shall I say, The Boring Dead, because they're just, all they do is just talk. There's no zombies. Where's the zombies? Anyway, I digress. Um, so I decided, and I, you got to understand, the way I work, I'm a, I'm a little bit weird, I, in case anyone was surprised by we this got point. That. <laughs> got that. But the way I do it is, is um, I, I do something called, what I call method writing. All right, so just so you don't, the people who don't know, Method acting is the typical term. So that means getting in the body of the person you're playing, getting into the mind, and you be that person. So I do it with writing. So I will typically pick themes or, uh, let's say, things that I'm interested in. So this one was, it was called origami, and the guy folds origami because he's Japanese and he's a sort of kind of cool samurai dude, has my haircut, and, um, and he's always folded origami. So I didn't know anything about origami. I certainly never folded anything. I barely folded a napkin. So I started folding and learning how to fold. And every day I would fold minimum 20 to 25 origami because I needed to understand what the process is, the, the delicacy of the fingers. Because when you start doing those minute things, it's kind of like um, a story that I was reminded of, of uh, this great monk in China. And the young priest wants to you know, learn from this monk who's known for philosophy, for thinking, and he, you know, the young monk is eager and wants to go. And he goes to his great monastery, bangs on the door and says, you know, I want to learn from you. I want to, I want to emulate, you know, what you're doing. And the monk says to him, go make the tea. You know, and you made the tea and then that's all he wanted. Just So for the first few months, all he did was make tea. But then he got so good at making tea that uh, he began to predict when the master wanted the tea. So he wouldn't even need to be asked. He just, tea would be there, bang. And eventually, he became so good, he made the best tea. And eventually, the master called him into his chamber and said, you know, it's time for you now to uh, take over your own monastery. And the young priest fell on the ground, started crying. And he said, oh, but how? I haven't learned anything being here. And he goes, ah, but you've mastered the smallest thing, which is making the tea. And if you master a small thing, you can master anything. Wow. I live by that story. So that was the same thing I do with my film. So I learn, I learn stuff. I practice it, and I become that to a certain degree. Kind of almost like obsessive in a way. Obsessive. Yeah. Again, I'm hard to live with. Or highly focused. So, so the thing is, is that you do learn those things. So I've, from, my, from my studies, I've become into vinyl. I know how to fold origami, although it's been a while. And, and I do all these other things, you know. And, and fungus is a new thing of mine because my new horror movie deals with fungus. So I'm reading about fungus. I will be the mushroom king of Dunsany fairly soon. But that's a microfire. A microfile, although that sounds so it's a great. Word. So yeah, it sounds a bit weird. That, that sounds a bit. It sounds a bit weird. Is, Might have to work on that one. But but so so. Microfile is a mushroom expert. So I started listening. Yeah, and it's not something pervy. So get yeah. your mind out of the well, gutter. Mushroomy pervy. Mushroomy pervy. Yeah, but anyway, so um, I started like it was curiosity first. What would happen if? So I said, look, you know, we're not really looking what we're doing here with the agriculture. We're not making loads of money. We're doing lots of work, and it's it's you know we, we'll try a year without. So I did. And I thought, well, you know, make this movie. It'll look authentic, better than The, the Walking farm. Dead. This was with the farm and with the animals. Yeah, with the, no... with the farm. Yeah, and, and so we tried that for a bit. 
and I watched it. And did you get much resistance from your parents and from other you know, I mean, stakeholders? At first, my mom, my mom was kind of like, Ugh, you know, we're going to lose a lot of money. And an estate like mine always needs money. But I said, look, it, for nature, we kind of need to do this right by the environment. Uh, and did it, may I interrupt, and say, did it kind of go in tandem with, like, you eat a vegan diet now? And did was that kind of part of it the kind of pretty, catalyst? It pretty much was. So the, the whole time I was obsessing about the environment because it was, what is nature going to do to smack us on the wrists for all the stuff we're doing every day? So this was the, what the story was about. Nature strikes back. And this is how it happens. So all these things were floating around my head. And I thought to myself, how could I possibly be? And then and it was around the same time, I think that the UN was saying all the bad, damning things about how the overconsumption of meat and the over-reliance on the meat industry was, you know, the amount of water and waste and destruction of habitats, all of that was, you know, um, coming to light. So I thought to myself, how can I call myself a conservation person? How can I call myself an environmentalist or even someone who is trying to do something for the environment if I'm not willing to go all the way? Because one foot in, one foot out, which one am I? Am I out or am I in? So I said, you know what? I did some study, tried the vegan diet for 30 days. And I was like, damn boy, I'm strong. Uh, I feel good. I, I have only needed to drink three cups of coffee this morning instead of seven. Uh, I feel great. And I felt really good. My work things were great. I was sleeping great. You know, my skin was, look how young I'm looking. So I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then I tried meat again. Disaster. Felt like crap. And I was like, you know what? I'm convinced. Done. Vegan. Seven years now. Seven and a half years. Done. And you know what? Don't need that much coffee. Although I like to drink coffee. So it's, you know, I drink six We've because I coffee. want to. We've got a coffee roastery just in the corner. Mm -hmm. here, so that, that's okay. I will, I will completely stick it in the back of my car and just <laughs> off I go. <laughs> but anyway, so, so yeah. And then what happened is the first year I tried it because I thought about the film. And I kind of thought, well, for nothing worse, it'll do a bit of a recovery, you know, and it'll be a bit better for the land. Then, you know, I began to see all these amazing things, like all the amazing butterflies and insects and things started happening. And I was like, meanwhile, I was observing, you know, observing the land, observing what happens when you remove people and animals from the land. Second year goes by and I'm like, you know, my mom was like, well, you know, the movies didn't get made. I'm like, yeah, but let's just, let's just try it again. Let's keep going. This is good for the land. This is, we need to do something. And was there a huge amount of convincing your mother for the second year? Or did I mean, she see it for money herself? was tight, yeah. you know, and like we lost 25% of our income. And, you know, it was the, you know, we're coming out of the recession. There was like, you know, my dad had died, but she respected what I was doing because she could see it, what I was seeing. But then eventually, after about the second year, I said, we're not going back. Never going to go back. Because I was convinced at that point that what I was doing was correct. And what I was seeing happen was animals return, the insects. Everything was alive. Everything was flowering. Everything was gorgeous. And I thought to myself, you know what? I always hear these stories of the wild green Ireland. And I look to my I look around and I don't see it. No, I see a little bit here in Wicklow, but I definitely don't see it where I live. And I thought to myself, you know, that's really sad. You know, I, I've been to Germany, I've been all over the world, and I've seen wild spaces, and I don't see any in Ireland. And I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do about it? I said, well, I'll draw my land in my sand. We're bringing the wild back to County Meath. And the thing is, the longer I saw, the more I was convinced. Because after a while, I was like, the movie's never going to get made. But hey, this is way better. Because then, then I began to study. I began to understand it. And you know what? I still intend to make that movie eventually. But this is There's now no the most important thing I've ever done. Because the truth is... And, you know, a lot of the, the, the negative people will, not, will say I'm just a moron. They don't know what I'm talking about. But I had... Uh, every single person, I, every farmer, every advisor tell me I'm an idiot. And you know what? 
but I, I held strong. I'm used to being called an idiot or a moron or much worse. Um, and you know what? I don't listen because I, I had an instinct. I went with it. And, you know, I'm getting regularly proven right because the species that have returned are phenomenal, the increase of things. And you know what? I'm building soil because every year the grass, the six foot tall grass that I get, um, grows, blossoms and dies on itself. And all that carbon, all that stuff that's absorbing from the atmosphere is falling down on itself. It's, it's breaking down. The slugs are chewing it. And it's turning into a top layer of soil that's rich and healthy. And it, we're, getting, we're building and soil. Wonderful carbon that's amazing because we, we, yeah. we, we, we're reading all, we're, we're, we've been writing another book. Oh, it's coming soon. Uh, and uh, a free copy, free copy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, but part of it, we were reading quite about food politics and food production and all these type of things and remember it said that there's probably about 60 harvests left because the topsoil of the world is being disappearing at a massive massive rate so that's why i think rewilding and regeneration and projects that really build the, the top layer of the soil is so fundamental because that's the bit that grows it's also food. an incredible carbon sink it is in, it has an ability and, to sequester carbon. and people say to me nice oh, word you're so clever steve oh, it, it did his research this morning sequester. Sequester. Wow, i want to yeah. be like you when i grow up okay, i'm like you <laughs> So here's my opinion on that, right? So a lot of people say, oh, but you know, he's, you know, there's a food crisis. Firstly, we waste like what, 45% of the food? 30%. 30%? Certainly 30%. I, I think that's the optimistic look. But I'd yeah, say, okay, so say 30%. So we don't all have to eat avocados every day. We can eat other things. And also, if we diversify our crops, it means we can get different species. We can get different things available for the food market that doesn't need to come across the sea necessarily, you know? And these days... We got science, bro. We can we can do things with greenhouses. We can do things with mirrors. I mean, have you ever been to Holland? See how much you know they produce something ridiculous amounts of food for for the whole they of Europe. The world's biggest exporters. Of and have you seen yet, yet their land size is the size of Munster? And you know what? Everybody always says to me, "God ain't making any more land." No, the Dutch are. <laughs> right, <laughs> Dutch are. <laughs> uh, you, you said mirrors there. That reminded me of back. 20 years ago, we lived, we ended up, ended up in Virginia, West Virginia. And we had met this guy who he was building a straw Andrew. bale house, Andrew and Carlene. And they're building a straw bale house and they had a spring on it and they were getting ready for the zombie apocalypse. They had their you own little homestead yeah. just in case it all went apart. And, and we bought it. We were, we were, we were there. We were there, there we were building straw bales. We were like lugging stuff to build. Anyway, we were there for about a month. But every day he'd get up and he had a, a mirror cooker. It was a solar cooker. And we'd put in, we'd put a whole pot of beans with all sorts of other stuff in it and we put it in this little box full of mirrors and put a lid on it and the sun would shine and due the course of the day it would slow cook the beans. It would take beans. about eight hours. It'd take, it'd take about eight hours but at the end of the day we would sit after a day of lurrying straw bales around we would eat like solar powered beans and boy were we windy. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no but it was really fun sorry, and that was a completely irrelevant story but well, I, enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty good. I thought, no, no, to be Thanks, fair, Randall, eat, eat that, I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's possible. Anything, look, we, we are such a, uh, um, you know, we as a civilization can do so much. I mean, if we want to. Yes. That's can I, the can thing. I say one more thing again? Sorry for cutting you off again. I know you're the guest here. But uh, I was just going to say on the topic of there, you were saying about species and growing food. And the thing that when we were writing this book was I, I found really interesting and that people might think that local food, like say here in Ireland, you think cows or dairy or that, that, that's what we typically specialize in. But even an avocado coming from Mexico has less carbon footprint than a cow grown 
a mile down the road. Like if you're drinking milk or eating cheese or eating local beef, there's much more embodied energy in that than there is an avocado from Mexico. So it's like, I think think the the, the type of food you choose is so important, like yeah. plant versus animal. And, and like I said, people criticize, oh, but you know, the plastic, the, the avocados. I'm like, people pick on the avocados a lot. But I, but I typically say to them, it's like, look, I mean, uh, we don't firstly have to just eat one thing. We vegans have quite a lot of choice. Um, and people say, eat your vegetables. They don't say, eat your meats. And if they do, there's no real antioxidants in meat, as far as I know, to this day. There's plenty in an avocado. There's plenty in salad. And we have all these other things that we don't even know about, you know, like grains and, and different types of corn and all these kinds of things. So, And if we do a little bit of planning, you can have a very, very long life eating very well. I mean, I eat like a king every day. I like love a lord. my vegetables. Do you eat like a lord? I eat like a lord. <laughs> oh, do you get it? So I get, do you get it. it? Okay, very good, Dave. So, so, so <laughs> that was dad that, jokes are really relevant. That, that Dave. Was, <laughs> One dad joke versus yeah. another. You see, who, who's it's gonna a competition who, here? I know. You gonna step it up and take it. Who's <laughs> stepping up to the dad side? <laughs> so yeah, but so that that's the thing. So I began to see changes so fast. And then I knew I was onto something because my instinct was right. And everybody said to me, oh, the grass will just become briars and stuff like that. And you know what? They were right at the beginning. They do, there was loads of ragwort. And I was like, ragwort, by the way, is this, this uh, yellow plant. It is known as the devil if you're in the agricultural world because it's bad for horses. And, it's, and cattle, funny enough, I found out don't actually eat it. They only eat it if there's no food. So it's not even like, like I said, most animals know what not to eat. Um, and that's funny enough because yew trees are planted around graveyards because it keeps cattle away. Interesting fact. Wow. Um, because they know to stay away from it. Um, so anyway, so I began at first to try and pull it because I thought, Jesus, the council is going to come here and they're going to find me because they can do that. Now, for the first year, I pulled it out and it was okay. Second year was a disaster. And I figured if I pulled 50 a day, that's I'd 50 have plants a day. 50 plants a day. I figured, like, this will be my mantra. I'll drink tea. I'll do a little bit of whatever. Fold a few origami and I'll pull ragwort, right? For nothing worse, I'm going to have great arms this summer. And I did. Now, my hands, I had, I had carpenter hands. And you know what? I was really crappy at maths because there's about 150 acres of grassland around my house. And that was no easy feat. And good mead soil means good ragwort. And that stuff's hard to pull out. And anyway... 150 is what I should have been pulling out. I was way off my numbers. So I did that for a year or two, and then I gave up. And then I just let it go. And then a year went on, and it just got a bit worse. And then suddenly, whew, something vanished. And then the following year, there was a bit sprinkled around, nothing. And then there was all these wildflowers and other things that came up, all these different things that I didn't know what they were. And everything just... Because now I do have a little bit here and there, and I have thistles, and I have nettles, and I have everything. Everything is mixed. And we went from having just one kind of grass to having multitudes of different types of grass, different textures, different like little sort of uh, fern-type things. And I was sitting there going like, you know, when you look at the ground, I could count maybe like 12, 15 different things in a small, you know, two-meter size so many different things. And then all the creatures crawling. Every time I'd move across the grass, all these things would move, including spiders. Lots of You're spiders. You're into death metal, though. Yeah. So yeah. But like I, I, said, I said I'm into death metal. I didn't say I'm into tarantula spiders in my house because in the castle, there's some... And I got a picture on my phone. I'll show you. You guys, you guys will go gray from seeing this beast. I call it the beast. 
Is it right? kind of like the one at the Harry Potter? It's the, the one size of a fist. Okay. It was an animal. It was the like the body is the size of a top can of a Coke. And I was like, dude, this came with some mangoes or something because this did not come from Ireland. And it was like, basically, it was like a spider on steroids. Now, I'm vegan, so I'm not allowed to crush it, even though I would have to probably get an entire, like, you know, bibliography book to hit it with, right? And I was sitting there, and I was like, right, so I'm vegan, I'm not allowed to put it. My cup isn't big enough to, like, fit over it. So, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to lock this door and not go there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, you you know, there there was a lot of takeaway for that one week where... The Where monster the spider ruled the castle. Well, it took over the kitchen, and there was like a lot of takeaway that week. And then, then I went there, and I, like this like, is the twenty second. And I opened Lord. the door really, really carefully. Like so, I opened the door, and I was like peeking, right? Peeking is the beast there. And I peeked around. I'm like, oh, beast is gone. Okay, hopefully the beast isn't going out having having lots of babies, and I'll have multiple tarantulas walking around. So yeah, there's a little bit of fear whenever I put my hand under the sink. We just don't do that. We ignore. Ooh. We ignore the sink. We just don't story. go there. Good story. Good story, Randall. And then in terms of the rewilding then, so so it, it kind of, over time, it proved itself that just the biodiversity was really starting to yeah, thrive and, you know and what? it just felt like the right thing. What was really weird, it was at first we had certain things that kept coming back and then it got waves of things. So we'd have one year where we had like an excessive amount of spiders, then another year where we had like ladybugs. This year it was really weird because we had loads of dragonflies. Now we don't have that much water where, I mean, we have a little stream, but so many dragonflies. And dragonflies are in decline, like more or less all over the place in Ireland. So we had a huge amount. Um, Butterflies, we did a butterfly survey and we counted 57 butterflies in 100 meters. That's a lot of butterflies. Yeah, because you don't see butterflies that often anymore. It it looked like a crazy town video, right? I sort of felt like I should be topless dancing up in the long grass. No, I wasn't going to do that really, but, you know, I sort of felt like I should. And uh, yeah, no, so it was just, it's become kind of like Jurassic Park. Uh, and now it's coming into deer season and, you know, I hear the groans of the deer and it now it really does sound like, you know, Jurassic Park. Because have you ever seen deer's call? I mean, you guys live in Wicklow, so you must hear the... And that's them calling for a mate. Yeah. Now, when I first started living here, I heard... And I thought it was just drunks from the local pub fighting in the field. And I thought, oh, we've got, we've got, we've got guys from the, in the countryside come fighting in the fields. And it turned out to be the... Um, them and I thought oh there's drunks fighting I'm so scared what do I do call the guards but no <laughs> thankfully it wasn't it was just stags fighting but uh, yeah and they're literally fighting over a male oh you hear, you hear the leader it's the males that make that noise yeah and they call the females and then it's then it's Friday so they call them they call the females and then they fight one another to yeah well I mean there's a you know are you looking at my woman kind of kind of sort of approach and then the young ones and come out and they're like yeah we're on tiktok we're gonna fight the old geezer who's still got his dvds <laughs> so you know that that sort of stuff happens and then it's 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 amazing because then in the summer i sit down sometimes I rarely sit down but when i do sit down i uh you'll be looking at this six foot grass and then you'll suddenly see a head pop out of the long grass and you'll see like an entire herd of deer cross and it looks like the savannah amazing during the lockdown i was i was sitting there and i had a vegan barbecue of course, I was keeping my social distancing from my dogs, but we were sitting there, and I was having my soya burger, and I was looking, I was looking at these like seventy deer across the thing, and it was so cool. I was sitting there, and I'm like, "Yep, rewilding, rewilding, baby. This is it. Take that, Oliver Plunkett." Yeah, I was like, "I'll be Saint, I'll be Saint Randall." Like, <laughs> <laughs> so got two, two religious leaders in the in the house now. I'm gonna get an even bigger picture. 
Because we're, oh. we're petty that way. Are there loads of paintings of all your, the 20 other... So we've got the dining room, right? So this is, you're going to like this, right? So the dining room, we have, we have a... Am I about to be somewhat inappropriate? Yeah. So we have two rooms, right? The breakfast room, we call the vagina room. Wow. Right, right? We're a little bit, we're a little bit crude up in the castle. Why is that called? Right? It's because it's all the women are in there. And the men get all the dining room the, 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 for the dinners and that. Women get breakfast, men get lunch. Wow. Right. So, so in the in this the dining room, this. it's all the all the different men from the thing. Now, you know, I haven't got a picture in there because I'm from the future. I'm going to get a hologram because oh. you know, got to live in the future. You know, like hologram, For real? hologram, Randall. Come on, that'd be cool. For right real? there in the middle of the table, you know, and I can stand there and I'll be, I'll be uh, exactly, and I can be giving you the evil or an look. NFT. You'll get an NFT, and you will be really cool. What I really want is that when people walk in, my eyes will move with them. I see you. Don't be, don't be getting no sticky fingers with my stuff. <laughs> Randall, you are gas. I know, no, I know. But that's it. That's it. So, so, and the women, of course, have a very, very posh room called the vagina room. And my mom was very funny. We have names for things. We like to name things. So we don't, uh, we're not like normal people. But, could you, know, you Could you elaborate on that a tiny bit? So, you know, I've got a, a tree that fell down, right? So I told you earlier that when trees fall down, 50% stay on the ground and the other 50% get harvested. So we had this one tree and it fell down. It was a lime tree. By the way, lime tree, good tree, love it. Symbol for peace, I'm told, right? And it's actually the symbol for the European Union. That's what, what uh, a European Union guy told me. And I was like, yes, we love Europe. Love my, my holidays in Europe where I don't have to show a passport and I don't have to do anything like that. And they don't charge me extra every time I buy something from Amazon. Yes, Jeff Bezos, I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, this tree fell down, right? So, and it died, dead for three years. And my, uh, my man, Jerry, who's our chainsaw guy, he was sitting there and he's looking at it with eyes of desire. <laughs> oh, my chainsaw's going to cut through you. Oh, you're going to make the greatest firewood yet. And then he was there, chilling. And he's like, we're going to take it this year. I'm like, no, that's this year, next year. And how about now? No, 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 not. Then, three years after death, leaves appeared, started growing. And this time it didn't, it, now this is a tree that's fallen on its side. It started growing upwards. So we call that tree Jesus. <laughs> Came back from the dead. And that Jesus, the and tree. still alive. Oh, yeah. It's growing upwards. It's rerooted and gone up. Yeah. So, so that's how, like, when you, when, you, when you say, nah, bro, I ain't going, that's literally how it happens. Wow. So this tree, um, yeah, so this tree's forever going to be at Dunsany. And it will, one, even after it's said, because, you know, Guys, no, no, nobody's going to chainsaw Jesus. Wow, there yeah. you go. Good so one. there you go. So we, like, I love that kind of stuff because, you know what, it's beautiful. I love, dead things are a wonderful um, part of the, you know, when you look at it, a forest and you see a couple of dead trees in there and it, it creates such habitat because like i said insects everything happens fungus it's very important and when a tree falls down right it breaks down into the soil but it creates fungus it creates you know even areas for saplings to grow through because it will grow between the branches and over time we're talking 50 60 years that tree will turn into powder basically it will just disintegrate into the ground but it's natural fertilizer for what's growing underneath mm. because even if you have a sapling growing between the branches i mean you've got the most juicy juicy of of uh, breakdown appearing over time gradually Compost. and that's going to shoot a tree up eventually because that's gonna that's that's rocket fuel for growing trees beautiful Brilliant. yeah for for anyone listening just a sense of you know just to 
highlight the importance of rewilding and to kind of encourage more of this. Can you give a little, uh, uh, you've said, I know you've said it loads of times, but maybe a succinct kind of little, you know, just to encourage more rewilding and the benefits that you've seen and how it's affected not only the, the environment, but how you, this, the kind of, the, the, What's the word? There's a nice romantic word of like the person who mines a land. Landowner, custodian. Yeah. Custodian, custodian of the land. Like how it has impacted your life to encourage more rewilding. So, you know, the thing is when I first started, it was, I was on a journey of discovery, right? I was very keen on my career. I was, you know, I was focused on, you know, I had to do this. I needed to achieve that. I need to make this much money. I need to pay these bills. But I was never satisfied with anything. And when I started rewilding, you know, changed every aspect of my life. I started looking, taking the long view. I started, if you like, I saw the future. You know, I saw the future that I wanted to live in. I'll never get to live there because it'll be the future. But I saw the dream. And sometimes the dream is better than the reality. And I, I kind of... You know, the land started speaking to me, not to sound all hippie woo-woo. It, it actually started speaking to me because I began to see things flourish and recover. And I saw the beauty of life. And um, I think a lot of the time when we work hard, we retire things, we tire the land. You don't see the life in the land. But I see life. I see things bursting. I think everything fighting to live, you know, and I, and I see that. And it was so inspiring to me because I realized that I do not serve a structure of society. You know, we are, we are citizens of the land. You know, this is, our ancestors all lived here. We all fought for something. Some of us starved, some of us died fighting. This is what we fought for, you know, because society changes, opinions change, history changes, but the land is eternal. You know, that's, and we're, we're products of the land. To think that we are superior to nature, superior to the other species, it's, it's something that we've learned that is incorrect. And so when I went on this journey, I discovered that there was a different part of life that I was missing this whole time. And now I tell you, I don't, I work very hard. I've made a lot of sacrifices to do what it is that I'm doing. I'll make a hell of a lot more. But when I do finally kick the bucket, I lived exactly the way I wish to live. And I try to do the things that I think would give me um, the right and the and the the benefits of the gift that I was given. I think I earned those. And that's what I live to. I live to earn what I was given. And you know what? That's for me satisfying enough because you know this country, it's it's supposed to be green. That was our color, and we somewhere along the line forgot that. Um, but we didn't all forget, and we didn't all accept it. Some of us want to do the right thing, and you know turn this country back to the way it should be. You know, here, here. I love that. Randall, you're dead. Nice you really, really park this. Mm, so so for anyone listening, where can they find out more and how can they support you and how can they learn more about Rewild? So first off, if you want to support me, go buy my movie because all the profits. Green Sea, isn't that the, the most Green Sea. I'll send you some links so you can embed it wherever you like. Um, if you rent or buy that movie, the profits go to me and the profits go into rewilding. So that's the best way to do it. I don't take money from the government. So, you know, that's, you know, government support doesn't help. If you want to come and see the place, you can send me an email. Um, reserve at gmail.com. Sorry, reserve at gmail.com. 
and you can come and uh, book a visit. We have very limited visits because of the nature of the science and the things that we're doing. But we do encourage, because my idea is to get people excited about rewilding, because if they see it, you understand it, and then you might want to do a bit of yourself. And if you not, if you like, you can just join the Facebook and Instagram groups, and I have plenty of pictures of wildlife. And uh, yeah, that's it. And then rewild your gardens. It's cheaper for you, and it's great for nature. Me again, by myself. Uh, Dave here. Uh, thanks, Emil, for li- making it this far. We're most grateful for your attention. We genuinely are. Uh, Randall, that was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I found him really charming. We look forward to going up and visiting his castle and uh, maybe seeing that spider and seeing some of the biodiversity up there. Um, and really, thanks for your attention. We're genuinely most grateful for it. Uh, this podcast is a great um, thing for us, so I hope you get as much out of it. And a uh, big shout out to Shawnee, Sean Cahill and Sarah Fawcett who produce and edit and organize the podcast. Thanks to you for your attention and uh, hopefully we see you again next week. And if you haven't listened to it, we've got a great series on community and previous episodes. So uh, do check them out if you're looking out for more of our episodes. So thanks a million and uh, see you again. Cheers. Bye bye.